Democracy for me is the political enactment of a spiritual idea that all of us have within us a spark of the divine. And therefore we ought to have a vote that is a voice in the direction of the country and our destiny within it. I think of a vote as a kind of prayer for the world we desire for ourselves and for our children. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Hello everyone, this is Bishop Rob Wright and this is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Today we have a special guest, a friend and a brother, uh, a Southerner, a son of the South, and a U.S. Senator, uh, the Reverend Dr. Raphael G. Warnock. Uh, Senator Warnock, welcome. Good morning, it's great to be here with you. Glad, glad, uh, Glad to have you, I know you're awfully busy, so we appreciate you making time to be with us. Uh, You know, what we try to do with this podcast is talk about life at the intersection of faith and leadership and uh, and how those things uh, sort of overlap. And uh, what I have done with previous guests, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, Governor Kemp, uh, Mary Margaret Oliver, so many other uh, folks who uh, are doing uh, such amazing work uh, in the state and trying to serve the state. Uh, I started right at the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning. So in, in the beginning, I know that you're, uh, you're a child of, uh, of pastors. So, so, so beyond sort of it being in the air at home, how do you come to being an ordained uh, servant of God in the church? Well, thank you so much. Um, listen, I, uh, as you point out, I'm, I'm the child of two Pentecostal preachers. Um, I had a very, came, came from a very large family. There are 12 of us. I'm number 11. And, um, I often say that my family was short on money, but long on love, a lot of faith in that household, a sense of hope that they passed on to us. And there was always a lot of humor and laughter and jokes going around in my home. I think faith and laughter will get you a long way. I, uh, so I, we were short on resources, but in a real sense, I feel like I hit the jackpot because I had, I had two great parents and wonderful siblings. Yeah. Yeah. And, ch- and church every Sunday and maybe a couple times during the week? Uh, church every Sunday, uh, Sunday morning and then Sunday evening, Wednesday night, uh, prayer service. You know, yeah, you spend a lot of time in church. It, it gets into the bones, doesn't it? Um, and, and you and I have a few things in common. Uh, we are uh, both uh, children raised in public housing, uh, raised to, to praying parents, um, and both of us are uh, the first ever college graduates in our family. Have I got that right? That is correct. Yeah, and, uh, and, and so you've, you've gone on and uh, you went to Morehouse College, uh, then the Union Theological Seminary. Have I got that right? And uh, and your PhD is in what? My PhD is in systematic theology, and so that um, uh, that's the study of church doctrine, or the way, or faith seeking understanding, faith asking itself hard questions. What does it mean to be a faithful person in this moment, in light of the history of church doctrine, and and what what do our beliefs? What what are the implications of our belief for this moment? Is something that I, I, I wrestle with all the time. Well, my goodness, that, that's, uh, that's sort of great preparation for where, where you find yourself at right now uh, in the U.S. Senate. 
Um, but, but before you ran, uh, you were uh, and are the senior pastor of the Ebenezer Church, uh, famously known as Dr. King's Church. And you, you've been the senior pastor now how long? I came to Ebenezer in 2005. So uh, this, this fall will be 17 years. And uh, even though I serve in the Senate, I continue to lead the Ebenezer Baptist Church. I preach most Sundays, pretty much every Sunday. And uh, people often ask me, why are you still doing that? Well, part of what the ministry does and returning to my pulpit every Sunday is it grounds me uh, in why I got in this work in the first place. I'm clear about this. The last thing I want to do is talk to politicians all the time. I'm afraid I might accidentally become one. Right. (laughs) I I don't intend to become a politician, although I'm in office. uh, I hope to remain uh, the Lord's servant and a servant of the people. So, so being at uh, being the senior pastor of Ebenezer, in in some ways, that is America's church. That is uh, the, that is America's moral America's freedom church. We call it America's moral compass. Um, you know, this little church in Atlanta, Georgia, that had something to say to the world, and then it moved the world, and then the world tried to use the best of what we learned from the from the pews of Ebenezer and from the children of Ebenezer. And so it's a big job. You've got a lot to do there. Um, I know what it what it means to, to pastor a growing church and to care for souls and to meet people at uh, difficult and wonderful intersections. There's a lot to do there. Uh, so, so how did you decide to, to find the time or apply yourself uh, to uh, first running for Senate and now being a senator? I mean, w- what's that connect- connective tissue there for that? Yeah, thank, thank you so much for the question. Um, for me, uh, the work of justice making and truth telling in the world has always been at the center of my faith is not an option, is not, a, a mar- is not marginal. As I read the Gospels, um, justice-making is central to the faith. After all, Jesus, in his very first public sermon, quoting the prophet Isaiah, said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He centers the poor in the Gospel to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, to preach uh, the year of the Lord, or uh, which I think is rooted in the biblical idea of the Jubilee, the year of freedom. And so that's, that's always been central to my understanding of the faith. Martin Luther King Jr. absolutely captured my imagination from, a, from childhood. I was born a year after his death. But uh, early on, his voice, his moral courage and vision captured my imagination. And so as I went to the Ebenezer Church, doing the things there that I would be doing, no matter what pulpit I was blessed to serve, um, it uh, it evolved over time. So the things I'm working on right now in the Senate are things I've worked on for years as a citizen. Um, From the moment I arrived, I came to Ebenezer in the fall of 2005. You might recall I started in October. You might recall that in August, the city of New Orleans was hit with a terrible hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, which displaced those folks uh, all across the country. And um, as a result of that, um, we had a lot of evacuees in Atlanta. And then shortly thereafter, the city had a municipal election. They were electing a new mayor and other offices. 
Louisiana, meanwhile, offered no real viable way for the people who had been displaced to vote. And so we organized, and I talk about this in my, my book uh, that, that I just wrote, A Way Out of No Way. We organized at Ebenezer Church something we called a Freedom Caravan. And we took Katrina evacuees back to New Orleans so that they could vote. We ended up having to do it twice, in fact, because there was a runoff election. And then every year after that, um, Bishop, I found myself getting into what another famous parishioner of Ebenezer, John Lewis, calls good trouble. And um, so whether it was standing up with, uh, for Gennaro Wilson, a young man who uh, found himself sentenced to 10 years in prison, uh, for a terrible mistake of adolescence, but it wasn't worthy of 10 years in prison, or uh, getting engaged and serving as pastor to Troy Davis, uh, an inmate who uh, was executed um, in the wake of, of a tragic killing of a police officer, Mark Allen McPhail. I always lift up his name because a, a young 26-year-old police officer did lose his life. Um, but I stood with Troy Davis um, because I thought there was not enough evidence to justify the death penalty, um, which is something I oppose anyway. Um, but uh, engaged in these fights and then fighting for Medicaid expansion in Georgia. I got arrested a few times in Georgia and at the United States Capitol fighting for health care. I've registered hundreds of thousands of new voters in this uh, state as chair of the New Georgia Project. So all of this work over time um, then evolved into the question, well, what are you going to do next? And with the urging of many people across this state, finally, after being asked for the third time, in, in a, um, I, I said yes, and here we are. And, and here we are. And, you know, um, what I tell people sometimes who, who wonder out loud with me about this curious sort of vocation that is uh, the pulpit on Sunday uh, and, uh, you know, in Washington on, on Monday, I say there's a precedent actually in the black church. Uh, Floyd Flake uh, was a, a representative. Adam Clayton Powell, uh, famously in Harlem. Uh, and and so they, they served, uh, Bill Gray in Philadelphia, Bill Gray in Philadelphia. Exactly. So it's, it's not brand new. Uh, it, it is, people have brought convictions of faith forward, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and served the country ably, uh, you know, in this regard, you know, you, you talk about your book, a way out of no way, which has just come out. I just started reading it. Uh, and uh, it, it's available on all kinds of platforms. Um, you know, uh, you know. In addition to all that you're doing, you're telling your story. I think that that is so important because I think people really need to hear that you can be a baptized, you know, Jesus believing person, and, and you've got to get messy and involved in the world. You got to do right. it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. This this my work in Washington for me, is an expression of an incarnational faith, right? This idea that that God, the God we worship on Sunday morning and preach about, uh, is not the God of the deists, right? The God who is detached from the world, the clockmaker God who sort of winds the world up, as it were, and then t- takes two steps back. No, the, the Christian story is about a God who gets involved in the messiness of humanity. In fact, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition is about that, the God who comes to Moses 
It says, I've seen the suffering of my people. I have uh, seen, their, heard their cries, and, and I have come down to deliver them uh, from the Egyptians, from their oppressors. So, um, yeah, I, I think faith, faith is about rolling up your, your sleeve and getting involved in the, in the messiness, the, the manger, uh, uh, right, uh, of, 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 of humanity. Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. During Pride, we invite you to check out a special edition of Beloved with Cathedral of St. Philip member Hubert Tate, premiering June 27th at 7 p.m. ET. You can keep up with Four People on IG and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. We're back with Senator Warnock. Uh, Senator Warnock, we talk a lot about the uh, intersection of leadership uh, and and faith, and and you're trying to embody that right now. And so what are the leadership challenges? I mean, we watch the news, whether we take our news in the red or the blue, we we watch the news. We we have some sense of current events. Uh, but but you are are because of uh, by virtue of being a u s. senator, you have a privileged view of what we're up against in Georgia. What are the leadership challenges in Georgia? Oh, I think, um, you know, the, the Bible says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. We, we're, in a, we're in a moment of choosing, of deciding as a country. Um, you know, um, I got elected uh, on a multiracial coalition of, of people in Georgia who stood up and in one fell swoop sent uh, Georgia's first African-American senator and its first Jewish senator to the United States Senate. That is uh, an amazing moment. It's a milestone moment. I'm only the 11th black senator in the whole history of the country. And over against the racist and anti-Semitic, xenophobic part of our complicated American history, Georgia, a state in the old Confederacy, in a moment of division in our country, sent a, a black man and a Jewish man, both mentored in different ways by John Lewis, to the United States Senate. And I have to tell you, I was feeling pretty good having won in the runoff. And uh, the next morning, I was doing all the morning shows. I was on uh, Morning Joe. I was on Good Morning America. I knew I had arrived because I was on The View, (laughs) (laughs) talking to Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, it was a wonderful, crisp morning. It was the morning of January 6th. And by the end of that day, we all know that we had witnessed the most violent assault on the United States Capitol since the War of 1812. Racist and anti-Semitic signs trafficked through our sacred capital. Police were killed and people brutalized and murdered. Uh, what a desecration. What violence. Uh, what 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 a a, a, a defamation of, of, of all that we represent at our highest and best. Here's the thing. We don't get to pretend like January 6th did not happen. We can't brush it under the rug because it's not about the past as some want to assert. It's really about our future. And we don't get to pretend that those were tourists. We were, we've been confronted by the ugly side of our history. January 6th did happen, but here's the thing. January 5th also happened. 
Georgia Senate kid who grew up in public housing to the United States Senate. And so we've got to decide, are we going to be the America of January 5th or the America of January 6th? Are we going to give in to the very real forces of division and and uh, xenophobia? Um, because people who, who have no vision traffic in division, are we going to give in to that? Or are we going to move closer towards our ideals? That's the choice that's in front of us right now. That, that is the choice. Uh, it's always been the choice, right? Democracy is this thing that you got to keep deciding for. I mean, th- I think this is why the Bible says choose this day. I think with every day, even with the mercies that meet us in the morning, you still got to choose whose side you're on, right? Uh, and, and we stumble and fall, but you get another day to choose, right? And so that's the exciting thing. I was with Ambassador Young uh, and others on yesterday, just yesterday, and we, we were plotting and planning an event to honor uh, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu just in advance of his next birthday. And we know that Archbishop Tutu now lives with the ancestors, right? Uh, and, uh, and we were there, so much love uh, uh, for him and his ministry all over the world. Um, and uh, it, it's just exciting to think about uh, the ways in which Atlanta touched his heart and he touched Atlanta's heart. But but Ambassador Young said something that I'm still chewing on. Now, you know, of course, and we know this is a man who stood at many important intersections in our history. And he had the temerity to say that he has never seen hate so well organized as it is right now. Now, this is a guy who was in Birmingham, Selma, incarcerated on the balcony with Dr. King when he was murdered. And he said he has never seen in this country hate so well organized. How, how do you respond to that? How do you, I mean, is, is that your view? Uh, I mean, I know where he's going uh, with, with all of that, but I, I wonder what you say back to that. I'm a post-civil rights generation baby, and so I didn't live through the history that Andy Young stood at the center of. First of all, just grateful for his sacrifice, him and John Lewis, and you know, let us not forget the women. Amelia Boynton was gassed on that same bridge where John Lewis met brutality. Not many people know that name. They should Google it, Amelia Boynton. Uh, the Ella Bakers of the world, Fannie Lou Hamer, who the Mississippi sharecropper, who said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. She challenged the Democratic Party to live up to the highest of our democratic ideals. Um, I think his words just uh, remind us of how much more work we have to do. As you point out, it's a decision. Democracy is not a noun, it's a verb. And um, for me, that that too is a spiritual undertaking, which is why I'm involved in the messiness of this work. I, I think that democracy uh, is the best we mere mortals have right now, given given the nature of uh, given human nature, as you and I understand it as preachers. We're we're a strange admixture of dust and divinity, of sod and sky of beauty and glory, and and sometimes we sink to the ugly side of that. Um, And I think democracy is is, is, is about checks and balances. It is a check against abuse and tyranny. Democracy for me is the political enactment of a spiritual idea that all of us have within us a spark of the divine, and therefore we ought to have a vote that is a voice in the direction of the country and our destiny within it. 
And um, uh, I think of a vote as a kind of prayer for the world we desire for ourselves and for our children. And so that's why I've, I've continued to fight so hard for the democracy, um, because the people in all of our flawed nature, for, I, I cast my vote, I will cast my lot with the people over despots, over autocrats, over plutocrats. Um, uh, we are the best we've got. And so we've got to transcend um, the false lines that we think separate us of race and class and gender. Of course, we know the reality of that in terms of how you experience the world. I'm not dismissing that at all. But we've got to transcend all of that and um, remember the covenant that we have with one another. No, and I, I think that's right. And, and, you know, and so basically you've articulated what is the substance of your hope, right? So if God, if God is not dead, and that, then God is not done with us. And so there's hope, right? Uh, to, to put it that way. But I think what Andy was trying to say, and he went on to say was, is that he's never seen hate more organized. And he was flashing back to say, you know, when we were confronting hate in places like Birmingham and Mobile and all kinds of places, Albany, Georgia, and all kinds of places all over all over the South and beyond, he said, but love was organized, right? It, love was organized. And, 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 and so I knew, knew that sort of where he was going. And so, so it's an invitation, I think, uh, to, to sort of double down on, or, you know, uh, organizing in love's name. And so, you know, uh, you know, that's an invitation to us. Uh, sometimes church folks, and I, I'll count myself uh, in that, sometimes we can get a little sentimental about love and forget that love is actually a soul force, the most durable force in the universe, right, is love. God says, I am love. And so, so um, we've got to sort of veer away from the, from the sentimental and start to sort of making transactions in the soul power of the thing. That, that's why you get to be the senator in the South and I get to be the bishop in the South is because love rolled up love's sleeves and put on love's walking shoes and went out to the polls and cast love's boat, votes and so on. And so I continue to be animated by one of my favorite quotes by Dr. King, which is justice is love overthrowing everything that is not love. Uh, and in another place, he said, you know, justice is love rebelling against everything that is not love. And, and there's a lot of stuff that's not love right now that's trying to infect our democracy. And we, we've just got to do better, uh, you know, in those in those uh, in those spaces. Uh, I just wrote a, a, a meditation. I write every Friday. I just wrote a meditation celebrating Pride Month and celebrating Juneteenth and also celebrating Father's Day. You know, where you and I, you and I share the ministry of being of being fathers as well. Uh, and so, you know, some people don't look at politics and even preaching sometimes as trying to enact love and spread the message of love. But I, I think I certainly do. And that's what Dr. King taught us, isn't it? Oh, I, I, absolutely. And I, I love, uh, I mean, that's a very apt way of putting it. Love needs to get organized. And um, listen, th these moments are, are tough. There's no question. We're living through tough times. People are dealing with rising costs and some of those bread and butter pressures become moments for uh, xenophobes and um, um, uh, demagogues to try to exploit those fault lines that are there and exploit people's sense of vulnerability as they're trying to, you know, deal with just basic material existence uh, amid global inflation. So we have to guard against that, especially in, in moments like this. 
But you know, the 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 title of my book comes out of a phrase which you know it it is deep in black church culture and a, a way out of nowhere. And let me say for those who don't know the culture that when we say the black church, we've never meant anything racially exclusive by that. Don't see that as a marker of division. It, we're talking about the anti-slavery church, the church that literally slaves built, bearing witness against this lie and this heresy that that human bondage <clears throat> uh, is all right with God. And that, that's why there's a black church. Folks rising up and saying, we embrace this Christian faith, but as we look at it closely, we, we do believe that, that uh, uh, slavery is, uh, and human bondage uh, is not consistent uh, with the faith at its highest and best. And that is the tradition of that church. Martin Luther King Jr. emerges from that, leads a movement to integrate the society, but coming from that. At any rate, you're not in a black church or in the churches that gave birth to me um, very long on a Sunday morning before you hear the preacher or somebody say, you know, the Lord makes a way out of no way. And uh, it is an expression born of suffering and oppression and of uh, people who kept the faith uh, when in the words of the spiritual, they couldn't hear nobody pray, uh, of hoping against hope, of putting uh, one foot in front of the other. Dr. King said, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the full stairwell. And so it's, it's this idea really that is we have to get up, get organized. And as we make our way, God makes a way out of no way. And I think that's what our brother and elder, uh, Ambassador Young, is summoning all of us to do in a moment like this. And it is our sacred obligation and opportunity to carry on the work in, that he and so many others did. You know, as, I, as I'm talking to you this morning, it is the morning after we've just uh, had uh, a gunman, we don't have all the details, but a gunman walked into an Episcopal church in the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama and shot two people, killed two people, uh, and, and one other person right now is fighting for their life uh, in, in the hospital. They actually have the gunman uh, in, in custody. And when I, when I think about oppression, I, I think, uh, you know, our society is increasingly oppressed by these, these random acts of senseless violence, gun violence. And, uh, and I know that this is a hot topic. Uh, I, I am ex-military. I'm also a gun owner. I've taken my kids to the gun range. Uh, we do it as a, as, a, as a target practice and as a sport. And so I'm no bleeding heart liberal around this thing. But but I, I like to think I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an American. I am an American, and proudly so, uh, and, and a person of faith. And so that means we have to be responsive to the actual epidemic that is happening to us right now. And so I, I know that right now they're working on a bipartisan, uh, some bipartisan legislation in Washington uh, to help us sort of get some new guardrails around the privilege of owning a gun, and so what do you say about what do you say about that? I mean, do you, do you see that is uh, important going forward? I mean, how how do we thread this needle because there's a lot of emotion around this issue? I think about this, and you're right. There's legislation that we're working on right now in the Senate. I hope we can get something of consequence done. Um, but I come at this first of all as a father. Um, I can't help but think over and over again about those parents, 
the parents of 19 children, so young. You're a parent, you know, you, you look at them and those are your babies. That's what they are. 19 babies slaughtered in school, learning the basics and their, their teachers. Um, we can't tolerate this. We can't accept this as a normal, as a, as a, as a, as a casualty of, of somebody's distorted sense of, of rights, all the rights we have in our country including the freedom to, to, uh, of speech, <laughs> the freedom to assemble. All of, those, all of those rights happen within a framework and the acknowledgement that there are other people who live here with you. And so how do I have my freedom while at the same time um, honoring the freedom of other people to actually stay alive? So that, that's what we're talking about here. And we can't pretend like this happens all over the world. It doesn't. It only happens here. So um, I'm prayerful and hopeful that we will get some something done. I'm encouraged by the framework uh, that's being laid out. I have a, a faith in um, uh, my brother, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who's led on this issue for such a long time, he and others. And um, it's, again, something I've worked on for years. Uh, you and I have talked about this. My church has had gun buybacks um, and so I just hope we can get something done. Yeah. So do I, it, we can't tolerate this. A, a, a great nation has to make great strides on the things that are, that are afflicting its people. And, uh, I, I remain, I remain hopeful. Well, look, as, as we wrap up, uh, you know, I, I want to just, uh, you know, ask you the question that I asked Barbara Brown Taylor and our presiding Bishop Michael Curry and others, uh, especially you, you, you theologians, right? So in complicated times like this, you know, what is the image of God in Scripture and or a piece of, script, a piece of Scripture that, that has taken on new meaning for you and that you hold dear that is sustaining you in these very difficult days? Yeah, it's a scripture that came to me while I was running in the 2020 cycle. And, uh, and it keeps coming. I keep going back to it. It's, it's in the Gospel of John, the very first chapter, where it says in the King James Version, and, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness overcometh it not. I, I love that expression because it is an acknowledgement. It is a sober tough-minded acknowledgement that it is dark. You know, sometimes we speak of faith in terms that are really just um, candy-coated and, um, um, you know, uh, that, that don't take seriously the complexity and the difficulty of the world. But it is dark. The days are difficult. But the scripture says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness overcometh it not. That somehow, even through the thick darkness, there is a light that can penetrate that darkness, a way out of no way, if you, if you will. And um, uh, I'm encouraged because uh, I believe that behind that, all of that is, is creative spirit and power. We call God, and I think all of us are called both to bear witness to that light and to be light. That's right. That's right. Uh, Senator Warnock's brand new book is A Way Out of No Way. 
Senator Warnock, I am so glad to have spent a little bit of time with you and to pick your brain and to talk about the God we love and we are trying to serve. Thank you. Great to be with you.